All right. Three, two, one. Got him. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. Oh, my gracious. Yep. How about that? With the second pick in the 2011 NFL draft, the Denver Broncos select Von Miller, linebacker, Texas A&M. He's the greatest ever, huh? And then I just wanted when you to got make- all the advantages. Easy. Welcome, everybody, to the Aggie War Pod, an extension of the Republic of Football Podcast Network and Dave Campbell's Texas Football. I am Mike Craven, the senior writer at DCTF and co-host of the Aggie War Pod. Joining me from Houston is our co-host, Texas, former Texas fighting Aggie defensive lineman Jay Arnold. Jay, how do the nerves of starting a new podcast endeavor compare to the butterflies felt before the first football game of a college football season? Well, I feel like... Uh, starting a podcast is kind of like the natural progression for a washed up athlete. So it uh, feels like just a continuation of that, that uh, the nerves from that first game. Uh, but I, I'm ready to dive in. When we were coming up with this idea, we wanted, uh, and we'll talk about this a little bit later here when we get to, to housekeeping, but we wanted to get a podcast in kind of every single market in the FBS. And I knew just knowing Aggies my whole life, growing up in Texas, being around College Station, I knew we needed somebody from the inside. Two outsiders couldn't do this. I am not an Aggie by birth or by right. Uh, I went to UTSA. I, I admittedly grew up around the Texas football program a lot more than the AM football program. Um, so I knew I was going to need somebody from the inside, and I knew the first person I was going to ask was Jay Arnold. So I'm glad this thing worked out the way I wanted it to. Yeah, I'm glad to be here as well. I mean, it's the old uh, Aggie adage, right, uh, from the outside looking in, they can't understand from the inside out. You can't really explain it. Uh, th- that's one of the many, many colloquialisms that we like to spout uh, as Aggies. But uh, it's something that I do think is is kind of a, a, a true experience uh, coming as an Aggie. So for those new to the Republic of Football idea here at Dave Campbell's, it's all going to be under one umbrella. You go to Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to podcasts, you look up Republic of Football, uh, you should see us all there. We have a main podcast that we do every Wednesday that kind of covers the whole state at the FBS level, all 13 teams now. It was 12 before Sam Houston's joining uh, this year, so now it's up to 13. Our goal, as we just mentioned, is to eventually have a podcast in every FBS market across the state. We're going to launch with six. So we have Texas A&M, obviously, that you're listening to right now with me and Jay Arnold on the Aggie War Pod. Uh, Then there's going to be one for the University of Texas I'm doing with Aaron Hogan, who works at the Horn down in Austin. Uh, We're getting between two bears for Baylor, gambling gauchos at Texas Tech, uh, the roost at Rice, the green room at North Texas, and sneak peek, we got a couple coming down the pipes uh, at some other universities as well. So we're off to a good start. We're hoping to get all 13 uh, by the fall. We should have about nine or 10 uh, by the end of spring practice. Uh, But on this podcast, we're not going to talk about the whole state. I mean, maybe once football season's going on, we talk a little bit of Texas, a little bit of SEC. Uh, But for the most part, we're going to focus on Aggie football and recruiting. Uh, But we'll also talk about anything and everything, right? I know you're into barbecue. Uh, We're both into gambling. You know, I I am a uh, addicted sports gambler, a degenerate by nature. Uh, And so we'll get kind of, I think, probably talk music, probably talk anything and everything that we want to talk about. Um, and so if you want to advertise on this podcast or any other podcast we have, please email us at mike.craven at texasfootball.com. And uh, this is supposed to be fun. We don't take ourselves very seriously. I know I don't. I follow Jay on Twitter, so I know he doesn't. 
Uh, so please do the same. Do not take us very seriously. Uh, do not hit me up with capital J journalism questions about this podcast. We are here to laugh and have a good time. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the same thing, right? Like, uh, like you said, we don't take ourselves too seriously. Uh, if you follow my, my Twitter, uh, you'll, you'll probably see me just get into all kinds of shenanigans. Uh, my, my most famous tweet is, is Taco Bell related, uh, <laughs> kind of chaotic stuff like that. I imagine we'll, we'll probably get a little chaotic on the podcast as well, but we'll try to keep some of that reined in, uh, to make it a little more linear. Taco Bell, if you're listening, by the way, holler at us, you know, yeah, potential uh, sponsor Taco Bell. Yeah. Pitch us a sponsor food or money. We would probably take either one. Uh, I'm definitely not above a late night talk, which is actually a pretty relatively healthy fast food option, by the way, as somebody who's on the road all the time and gets out of games and gets out of stuff where like not everything's open. You can do worse than Taco Bell if you actually care about calories or figure, um, you know, maybe we both don't, but some people out there probably do. Yeah. I mean, I, I can spend over $20 on a Taco Bell settings. I don't know if that's the healthiest way to go about it, but sure, sure. Uh, I, I have seen that, that uh, the, the Taco Bell offerings, maybe because it's not as much fried food, like you're not getting the, the sodium yeah. from the French fries and all that, that uh, it's a little bit healthier, less breading. I would imagine, you know, with the tortillas and the tacos that helps as well. Who knows what's actually in it. Um, so who knows where they, where they cut <laughs> calories there as well. And it doesn't stay in your body for very long. And so you don't have to hold on to those calories. Maybe you don't soak in all of them. Um, so that's always good for Taco Bell. I don't know. We kind of talked ourselves into and then probably out of a Taco Bell sponsorship <laughs> in that last couple of minutes. Uh, an idea I had to kind of get the podcast going and kind of talk about a little bit of Aggie football, talk a little bit of ourselves, let listeners know more about us which is kind of do a little q and I was going to ask Jay a couple questions. He's going to ask me a couple questions. Uh, we'll just kind of talk about the answers. Uh, I guess I'll go ahead and start. Uh, I wanted to know, uh, what is your favorite moment playing football at Texas A&M? It can be a practice thing, a weight room thing, an in-game thing. Like when you're on your deathbed and you're telling stories to your grandkids and great-grand, like which one are you starting off with? Yeah, so this is going to be a weird one for a lot of people that uh, don't, maybe understand my other sports fandoms uh obviously one of my favorite ones was the the chick-fil-a bowl against duke my first career start but the one moment from texas a&m football that i will always remember uh without a doubt always tell stories about is the time that uh nascar superstar jeff gordon came to a texas a&m spring practice uh that was probably the coolest moment of my life i have fangirled a couple times that was <laughs> one of them uh he was running a, a special paint scheme for the race at Texas Motor Speedway, uh, and they had uh, uh, Texas A&M Engineering on the car. And so he came out to, to kind of show the car off in Aggieland and then came over to practice, and I was just kind of starstruck. I grew up a huge NASCAR fan, uh, and Jeff Gordon was my favorite driver. So him coming out to practice for me was as weird as it sounds, probably the height of, uh, of my excitement as a Texas A&M football player. There you go. Well, then we can talk some F1 and some other racing on this podcast as well when we get into the dog days of summer. Absolutely. Uh, and we'll stick with the NASCAR theme kind of because uh, I also have questions for you. Uh, I recently had uh, have placed some odds for the uh, NASCAR race at Las Vegas. I had Kyle Larson to win plus 700 he's dominating the end of the race a caution comes out with three laps to go he ends up losing terrible beat uh i know that you're also 
an avid gambler. So my question for you is, what is the worst beat you've suffered in recent memory? Oh, man, that's a great question. I am somebody who tries to put the bad ones away from me as much as possible. Um, oh, man, that's a good we're far enough removed from college football. Oh, I think honestly, I think it was the over under at the national championship game. Maybe this is a little bit of recency bias there, uh, but I believe I had um, the under thinking that it was going to be a low scoring game. Georgia's defense is excellent. TCU's defense is underrated. Um, I got one of those parts right, and I thought I was going to get saved because TCU wasn't scoring any points. Eventually, Georgia uh, would take their foot off the gas in the second half, and I would coast to a victory as I was writing both of my game stories in the third quarter because the game was over. Uh, and then Georgia just kept scoring. Every time I would look up, there was another touchdown uh, and the over hit on that one. So that may just be because it's the last one I remembered, and I have like season brain. Like as soon as the football season's over, like I try to dump. It's like a computer file. I try to like dump it all out of my brain to get ready uh, for magazine season the next year. But I, that one was pretty tough because I feel like I nailed Georgia being the favorite. And I thought I nailed that TCU just wasn't going to be around and it was going to be low scoring enough. And it was not at all. And it's, it's, those are always the worst ones, right? Whenever you picked right and then right. you kind of foresaw it correctly, but then something out of your control or out of the person's control happens and, and you just see it go away in, in a cloud of dust. Yeah, I kind of also picked against Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl, which wasn't very smart, uh, probably. But I thought for a while there, because I got the Eagles at like plus something, like plus 140, plus 150, something like that. It felt like the right bet to make. Uh, but that's not always that doesn't always mean you're going to get money back. That's the life of a gambler. Like making the right decision doesn't mean that you're making the winning decision. And that that's kind of the the uh, ups and downs of it. Absolutely. Uh, Okay, my next question for you is, how did you commit to Texas A&M? I was a recruiting writer for a while. I think one of the most undertold stories is like how these commitments go down. They're not as sexy as a lot of people think that they would be. How did you commit to Texas A&M, to the coaches? Like, how did they find out that you were committing? Yeah, I, I am definitely not one of those sexy stories. Uh, I just called up my area recruiter, uh, really we kind of set up a time ahead of time i wanted to call him uh, and I, I called up my area recruiter david Beatty, and also had uh coach price coach someone there ready for the call and uh just kind of committed one spring day uh thanked some of the other coaches for for recruiting me uh from other schools and and that was pretty much it uh, nothing very exciting uh i was committed my junior year and then uh through high school i mean it, it never really wavered uh no no hat ceremony nothing like that for me just kind of a, a really non-exciting recruitment was that because the social media age wasn't exactly exploded yet like how different would it have been to be recruited kind of like now compared to you know when everything wasn't on twitter all the time yeah i mean so some of the social media was around a little bit back then uh so i was class of 2013 Okay. But it definitely wasn't as prevalent as uh, it is now. Uh, I feel like that's when I joined Twitter was like 2013 ish. Yeah. And like there was definitely some some interactions going on on Twitter uh, with recruitment. But it I wasn't one of those crazy stories. I mean, some of the stories in recruitment uh, are just wild. Uh, I. I was kind of a, a more basic, not, not too exciting, mostly vanilla, 
uh, recruitment through and through, uh, finished up pretty quickly. Uh, but there are a lot of exciting stories in recruitment. For sure. Uh, I'm sure that, that you've had your fair share. And, you know, that's kind of what I wanted to get into with my next question. Not necessarily recruitment, but what is the craziest story that you've ever either covered or broken or just kind of uh, talked about in, in your career in media? Hmm. That's another good one. Maybe we should have prepared this one because these are, these are, your minor, I feel like yours are, much, <laughs> yours are much tougher uh, than mine are um hmm i don't know like i think one of the things that's nice about being a sports reporter is you don't have to do all a lot of like real stuff right like i definitely have like heard of some crazy stuff behind the scenes of like certain schools giving casino chips to parents to go play with to then cash out to like get get around recruiting stuff um definitely like rule violations behind the scenes right like my former boss of the austin american statesman his dad was the one that busted smu uh, by matching up those those licenses and stuff like that. Um, so, I mean, there have been some pretty crazy ones. I don't know how many I can talk about on record uh, because like <laughs> there's still probably like a statute of limitations out there. And like, I don't want to get anybody in trouble. One thing about me, I, this is why I'm not that great of a journalist because like, I don't feel like everybody's business should be like out on front street. Like I'm somebody who like can't tell on people. So like one of, one of the things that I would struggle with is I think I would get this information that was like, sexy and like scandalous and like oh man they're gonna put me on espn but that would make me nervous like i wouldn't want to break that news because i wouldn't want that kind of spotlight on me so i think i've just ran like passenger seat you know i started my career community newspapers you know so that was kind of you know you're covering the track team and cross country and volleyball and football you know you're along for the bus rides and stuff so you don't really like tell the dirty laundry there uh, you know, I worked at UTSA for rivals and stuff. And so there wasn't, you know, maybe it was something like Larry Coker being around and, and that kind of stuff. But yeah, nothing too scandalous, nothing too fun. I don't think, to be honest with you, I've had a pretty boring career by design, by the way, by design. <laughs> so we're, we have that in common, right? Between the recruitment and uh, and your stories. Right. Uh, we like to keep it a little bit boring on purpose. I, I want no drama in my life. I, I want absolutely no drama in my life. We'll see. Maybe this job changes that a little bit, but I've always been in beats where that wasn't really my function. And so uh, we'll see how that how that changes there. But again, I think my biggest fear as a journalist is getting called by like Feinbaum to be on the air. You know, like I just don't know if that's what I would want in my life. I'm, I kind of want to stay stay in my little triangle over here and be, be where I'm at. I, I like it that way. You wouldn't want to get uh, calls from the, from the viewers on the fine bomb show. I don't think so. I don't want that kind of Twitter <laughs> following. I don't want that kind of, you know, like I'm okay to describe something about me, like on my Twitter thing, if you don't follow me, I don't see anything that you tweet to me, you know, like I, I have it turned off to where like most people are muted there are filters set up. Like I try to limit anything coming into my airspace. I am always worried about getting not too famous. That sounds douchey, but like, I'm always worried about like getting too into the mix where it's like everything you say and do is analyzed and talked about. Like that would be, that's my biggest fear. Like I really don't want to do that. Well, and, and worrying about, you know, somebody taking something that you said out of context right. the wrong way. And... Jimbo getting mad at me or something like, you know, like I just don't want any of that in my life. I just want it to be easy. Like I just, I just want to write feature stories and like talk to you and people on podcasts and just like hang out. Like that, that's yeah. the extent, that's all I've ever wanted in my career. Like, like that's it. You know, like I've never aspired to be like, 
New York Times or any, you know, like I just want to like chill and like write sports stories and not have to get a real job. Like that's it. Yeah. Like that's the that's all. Just just good sports stories and good vibes. That's yeah, that's all that's we it. need. That's it. Go to sleep, hang out with my friends. Like that's it. That's all I want to do. Uh, my last question for you is, and I don't know if you'll answer this, but what is the best piece of barbecue you've ever eaten? Oh man. Uh, so you know how you talked about uh, not wanting any drama. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I love all of the Texas Pitmasters and, and what they do. And uh, it's so like, I don't pick favorites because there's so many unique bites, so many incredible things that I've had. Uh I mean, I could narrow it down to a few and I would still be leaving some out and I, I would be heartbroken to, to find out that I made somebody in the community mad because I, I left out their bite. But I'll, I'll go ahead and talk about a few, a few bites that I, I think are incredible. Uh, the fried brisket mac and cheese bites from LJ's and Brenham are divine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The brisket huevos rancheros from Burt Bean, uh, just a, an incredible dish. I mean, it, it's uh, it's hard to really explain how well everything in that goes together. Uh, Leroy and Lewis in Austin, their burger may be the best burger that I've ever had anywhere. It's underrated spot, underrated spot. As an Austinite, an underrated spot. That's a good call. Yeah, and I love the beef cheek that they do there too. Uh, I mean, man, there's so many bites. I mean, Evan, Evan from uh, Leroy and Lewis and a, a few of the other guys came over to do a, a pop-up with the uh, Koi barbecue over here in Houston. And I mean, that spread that they put together, they did like a, uh, a whole hog uh, pasta. That was incredible. They, I mean, I think Evan was on a big oyster kick. So there was, there was oysters there that were, were really good. I mean, I've just had so many good bites and barbecue. I'm trying to think of another one that stuck out. I just went to a, a pop-up the other day uh, in Port Neches. Uh, uh, Redbird Barbecue uh, is, uh, is a new spot that's going to be opened up by Amir Jalali. Uh, he's been uh, training with the guys at Goldie's up in uh, Fort okay. Worth, which was the Texas Monthly number one this recent go-round. And uh, they did house-made rolls, and they do like a cinnamon butter, a cinnamon honey butter, kind of like Texas Roadhouse. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. But what I did is I, I took that roll, uh, took some of that cinnamon honey butter, put some chopped beef that they had on top of it, and then a little bit of their house-made house, uh, mustard barbecue sauce and made a little slider. And it was a fantastic yeah. bite with the sweet with the smoky, with the tangy from the mustard. I mean, it was pretty great. So I, I could talk about barbecue all day. I'll go off the rails if you let me. <laughs> you know, for, you mentioned, uh, you know, Goldie's up in Fort Worth. Like that, Fort Worth is an underrated barbecue city, by the way. Um, if you're ever up in that DFW area, I, I think Fort Worth probably has the better barbecue than DFW, to be honest. Yeah, so, and with Fort Worth too, it's the proximity. You can go sure. to like Heim, Panther City, mm -hmm. uh, Bricks Barbecue. I don't know if you've had Bricks, but they do uh, fantastic. Like, they, I think they call it the Funky Town Hot Chicken Sandwich. So it's like a smoked and fried Nashville hot chicken sandwich. Really good. Uh, and Panther City Brisket Lotus is another bite that I mm -hmm. forgot to mention. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. Uh, and then you have Danes over there. And like you said, the Goldies guys in Fort Worth. So it's uh fort worth has an embarrassment of riches as well 
It just dawned on me that uh, Dave Campbell's goes and covers the UIL state barbecue championship every year. And we're going to need to get you in as a guest judge uh, this year. That just kind of crossed my mind. And so I'm saying it out loud. So we all, we all have a reference point here to remember that it's down in round rock. That's uh, a good time. Yeah. I don't know if I want the judging aspect of it either. This goes back to the drama. It's secret. It's secret <laughs> judging. Nobody knows. Nobody knows what you're judging. You know, it's just because uh, somebody's got to win. It's a, it's a competition, Jay, you know, oh, somebody has got to win. Even, even if, even if I know that nobody's going to find out what I said, it would still stress <laughs> me out. Uh, but I, okay. So my, my first two questions were a little more challenging. Yeah. Sticking with the food theme. Mm -hmm. I am going to make this one a little bit easier for, at least I think it'll be a little bit easier. What is your go-to road trip snack? Ooh, go. So I, my most often road trip is Austin to DFW. That's where the Dave Campbell's offices are. There's obviously three schools up there that we cover. And so I, I make that trip a lot. I am a kolache guy. I stop by, I stop by West and I, I get kolaches. I do not have a, a, again, this goes back to the no drama thing. I am somebody who thinks everything is great. So like I have no preference in these West Texas drama war, you know, kolache wars. I go to whichever side of the highway I'm on. So when I'm headed North, I go to the one on the right. When I'm heading South, I go to the one on the right. You know what I mean? Like I, I go to the, whichever one is on my side. Uh, if I'm just going to a gas station though, I am a peanut M&Ms and Dr. Pepper guy. Those, those, that is what I get at a Dr. Pepper. I drink probably way, I mean, an unhealthy amount of Dr. Pepper. I would imagine diabetes comes around at some point for me <laughs> because I drink, that is my, I, I used to have uh, a lot of demons in my closet. The only habit I have left, the only addiction I think I have left is Dr. Pepper. And it's understandable. I mean, Dr. Pepper is a fantastic drink. I will say that my really bad road trip habit uh i love a good mountain dew code red which i think mm -hmm. maybe has even probably does have more sugar than a dr pepper yeah, and a lot more uh, caffeine yeah and it's uh but it is delicious and i like to i like to go by bucky's and get like the mm -hmm. the chocolate pecans i think those chocolate pecans are like probably my go-to yeah bucky's is hard to beat bucky's is hard to beat. that's another place bucky's if you're out there listening Holler at us, right? Like that. That's a that's a built-in hey, one right Aggie, there. Aggie, yeah, I right. Mean. That's a that's a built-in one right there. Um, you know, we do need to talk some AM football. This is a this is an AM podcast, Aggie War Pod here. Jay Arnold, Mike Craven on the Dave Campbell's Texas Football Republic of Football Network. Uh, I think the big news that's kind of come out, news in quotes, uh, that's come out over the last week or so, a talking point is kind of Ross Dellinger from so sportsillustrated.com. Uh, tremendous writer. Uh, if you're not following Ross, you know, he's kind of one of those must follows in college football does an excellent job always on the front foot uh, with, you know, any news going on in college football. Uh, he kind of released a educated guess. And I would imagine guess is also in quotations, right? This is pretty much uh, what it's going to be probably, uh, but just can't be breaking news yet. So they're just teasing it out there to kind of see if they missed anything. They're trying to get feedback, right? They're, they're doing this through through the public to see if they're missing anything, if there's going to be any major blowback. Uh, Texas A&M, uh, there are three. LSU, Texas, obviously, Mississippi State. Uh, Jay, what are your kind of thoughts on, I guess, one, the 3-6 model, um, and if you like that kind of idea of the three permanent games, the six rotation, uh, and then with the 3-6 model, most likely the one uh, to be chosen, do you think those three teams were the right ones for the Aggies? Yeah, so starting with a three-six model, uh, the only other model that I've seen thrown around is pods, yeah, uh, which was thrown around, kicked around quite a bit. I think the three-six works a little bit better. 
I agree. Uh, honestly, I think it's a little less complicated. Uh, so this is the format that we're going to have, and and I'm fine with it. Yeah. Uh, as far as Texas A&M's three opponents, let me go into this by saying no one is going to be happy with all three of their opponents. I think if you're an SEC team, you have to be happy with at least one opponent. Uh, you're not going to get everything you want out of this. So Texas A&M gets Texas and LSU. That's fine. Those, those are two great contests. The third opponent, Mississippi State. Now, me personally, I have a little bit of bias against Mississippi State because I've gotten my bell rung there uh, figuratively and literally. Uh, you know, you get hit in the head a couple times, and then you hear those cowbells ringing in, in <laughs> Davis Wade Stadium. Not particularly a fun uh, event to occur. Yeah, uh, it, no. you, uh, I, I remember getting on the flight and just like, I couldn't even like keep my headphones in just because my head was still ringing. Hmm. Uh, but more cowbell. Yeah, Christopher Walken can, never mind. Uh, anyways, <laughs> it, it's Mississippi State isn't a flashy, like I, I would prefer even taking away the cowbells. I think the Arkansas game is a fun game. Yeah. I would like to see, see that still be a fixture. Uh, or, you know, perhaps the storied historic rivalry, the Bonham Trophy uh, with South Carolina. Uh, sorry, that's the, the Internet's favorite SEC rivalry, I think, is, mm-hmm. is Texas A&M, yeah. South Carolina. But it's uh, – I'm happy that Texas and LSU appear to be on the schedule. Those are the two games that I wanted to keep the most. You know, again, I would like to have had Arkansas – uh, there's probably some people that want OU back on the schedule coming from the Big 12. I personally, the, the history is not there like it is with OU in Texas. Uh, sure, there's some hard feelings, but it's not as much of a key as uh, as keeping that Texas Texas A&M game alive is. Yeah, I mean, if we're going to do the 3-6 model, which I agree is the best one, they were also talking like the 1-7 or whatever, 1-8, and like that wasn't going to work because you can't bring Texas into a conference and then go, they're not playing Oklahoma or A&M every year. Like, you just can't do it, right? Like, you need you need th- three permanent opponents. Everybody's got at least two natural ones, it feels like. The third one's always tricky because it's hard to have three rivalries. You know, you yeah. tend to have two. Uh, not a, not all these teams even have one, you know? And so I think Texas was a no-brainer. A&M, Texas have to play each other every single year. That's like the whole point of this whole process right is to get that game uh back going i want to talk to you a little bit about that in a second as well the texas texas a&m rivalry and that that coming back and what that means and then it feels like lsu a&m has become this like under the radar sec rivalry that's like awesome like every single game is like banger after banger after banger it's two great fan bases they recruit Houston so much. I feel like that's the under talked about part is like the battlegrounds are kind of drawn in Houston, right? And a lot of these recruits are getting recruited uh, by both schools. Obviously, a lot of kids in Houston have Louisiana ties. I grew up in Missouri City in elementary school and like everybody there was an Aggie, you know, and so like that, that rivalry is is always fun. There's family on both sides. It's, it's a really cool rivalry. So like those two had to be there. And then it just becomes about what the third team is going to be. Uh, I felt like Arkansas, like you, was the obvious choice, right? The old Southwest Conference stuff. Uh, and they have a spot, too. Like, Arkansas has Missouri and Texas, which, again, feel like obvious twos. Uh, but then they get Ole Miss for the third one. Like, why? Like, why Why wouldn't that be A&M? Uh, or Oklahoma, right? Like, why, yeah. why wouldn't there be there? Uh, Oklahoma's is another one you mentioned. They got Texas, Missouri, Florida. Like, what is the Oklahoma, Florida thing? Like, where did that come from? So I don't know where the that rivalry. I think there's jorts. 
<laughs> exactly exactly so like i don't get I, I guess i don't get the mississippi state one maybe they didn't want i mean lsu texas oklahoma would have been a tough draw um yeah. that would have been a, a hard three games every single year i guess arkansas uh there I, the only thing i could think of was like one mississippi state needs somebody other than old miss you know like they don't have a whole lot of natural rivalries i'm trying to look uh, they have Ole Miss, Kentucky, Texas A&M, right? So you kind of have to force feed Mississippi State to have some rivals. So maybe it was part of that. And the only thing, I, other thing I could think of was like, I don't, I don't know, like maybe they didn't want to give them three like top tier quote unquote SEC teams on an every every year basis. Like that wouldn't be uh, ultimately fair. But like you said, I feel like everybody's going to have an argument. I think Texas is the only natural fit with Oklahoma, Arkansas, Texas A&M. Like that, that one felt like a no brainer. Felt like everybody else had obvious two. How do you get the third one? Uh, so Texas A&M with Mississippi State. Yeah, and I think uh, perhaps maybe the only other obvious one uh, for for three would would maybe be Georgia. And I, I'm not sure exactly what theirs was because you know they're going to have Auburn. Yeah, uh, you know they're going to have Florida in the cocktail party. Yeah, and Kentucky. Uh, okay, and so they end up with Kentucky, which is you know I thought they would have gone South Carolina, but uh, I guess from that standpoint, uh, Kentucky, again, not everybody's going to be happy with their three. Yeah. Including Nick Saban, who yeah. uh, is mad that they're getting Auburn, Tennessee, LSU. But like, what do you want them to do? Like, you got to play Auburn every year. I feel like LSU, Alabama is like the game that kind of made the SEC, you know, the biggest and the baddest conference and, and it changed that perception or whatever. And then, you know, people forget Alabama, Tennessee is a great game that has a lot of history or whatever. Just they haven't been good at the same time in a while. Yeah, I mean the third Saturday in October is, I mean you you go to older Bama fans and that's the rivalry more so than the Iron Bowl is. It's like Texas Arkansas for the old timers, you know, like it feels like that game that like our generation doesn't really like pay attention to, but like the old people like really care. Yeah, and it, it's always fun to see those. Like, I mean, those kind of rivalries. Like, I think uh, I was talking to to West Virginia fans when I was up there this past season. And obviously the uh, the backyard brawl is the game, but the West Virginia Penn State uh, mm-hmm. is is something that some of the old timers kind of haven't forgot yet. So it's fun to see some of those types of games come back. What are you most looking forward to? And like from what I know, and I think this has been reported as well, that first A and M Texas game is going to be in College Station, going to be twenty twenty four. What? can you can you put me into your mind frame that day like how like what is that going to be like so for me this is kind of a weird one because growing up i wasn't a texas or an AM fan i was an ou fan mm-hmm. uh so the rivalry for me that i always watched growing up uh with a vested interest was the was the red river shootout however that Thanksgiving tradition Thursday night game between Texas and Texas A&M was always mandatory viewing, even, even without being a fan of either team. Uh, so for me, like the, the fact that this game's coming back, I'm just, I'm just excited to see the fans interact with each other with, with this game. I mean, there's been so much back and forth and then talk about, Oh, they're scared to play us in a bowl game or, or you know, all of these things when us as athletes, I mean, when we talked about it, we joked about doing the whole meet in the cornfield and, and just play in the middle of nowhere with no fans, just uh, just for bragging rights. But just 
seeing the emotions, I think, of, of all the fans whenever Texas and Texas A&M suit up and take the field against each other for the first time in uh, over a decade, it's, it's going to be a, a really, really special moment. Uh, obviously, I'm going to have a team that I'm rooting for, uh, but it, just seeing these type of rivalries uh, that were broken up by uh, conference realignment come back is, is a real uh, bonus for me uh, with, with Texas and OU coming back to the SEC or coming to the SEC. I'm super excited about it. I, I know. I hope I get a credential. I, I'm assuming everybody in the world will be applying for a credential to that game. They're usually pretty good to us. So I'd imagine I, I get one, but like for me, this game kind of defined part of my childhood. Like for those, for people who don't know, like I grew my grandfather was the rehab specialist team doctor for the university of Texas kind of started the strength and conditioning program there uh, in the late sixties with Daryl K Royal uh, started, you know, co-founder of the NCAA strength and condition. But so I, I grew up there at, at UT all the time. This was my Thanksgiving. Like we never had a traditional Thanksgiving because like the, the game was like what everybody did. Uh, and I was one of those, I mean, I didn't go to UT, so I have no dog in the fight. I just remember loving the patent, like just loving it. Right. Like, cause the other, the only other rivalry game I understood as a kid was Texas, Oklahoma and it's neutral site. And so you don't get the feeling it's not the same, like it, it it's unique and it's great in its own way, but you don't get the feeling of being on A&M's campus and then being on Texas's campus and like what that means to be like 90, 10 or 80, 20 in terms of crowd split. And like, like it is going to be awesome. And I hope, and maybe you disagree with me here. I hope it's on Thanksgiving. Like I, I hope they bring it back to that and it gives us that tradition again. I, so a lot of people disagree. I think it should be on Thanksgiving. I think they should bring the game back. I don't know if the SEC is going to do that. I don't know if the powers that be at AM want that, uh, which could be part of the issue. Uh, I think they've kind of enjoyed having that LSU slot, but I, I'd rather have AM and Texas on Thanksgiving than AM and LSU. As fun as uh, it's been for me recently going to LSU and making that kind of a new tradition, I just think the, the, the history of the Lone Star Showdown, uh, it's too much to not put that game back on Thanksgiving. But one thing you touched on there, I mean, it is going to be different having the, the game uh, home and home, right? Uh, with A&M and, and, and Texas playing at each other's campuses because that Red River shootout, like for the most part, I do not like neutral site games. I think neutral site games are terrible. I think yep. the Red River shootout is one of those exceptions. I think that one's a special enough. I think the, the, cocktail party between Georgia and, and Florida is another one. And then obviously army Navy uh, can get away with uh, neutral site games, but uh, yeah, seeing those two teams home at home. And, and the first time Texas goes into, into Kyle field again for the first time in a decade and uh, is, is outnumbered pretty, pretty heavily. It's going to be interesting to see that reaction. Yeah, I'm with you. Like, there's just something about uh, neutral site games that rub me the wrong way. Like the ones you mentioned, obviously, like they have real tradition that were like organically built and there's stuff around those games, right? The the Cotton Bowl and the State Fair, the cocktail party, obviously Army Navy. But like a lot of these other ones are just manufactured to be in cool stadiums and to be in markets where they want to do a little bit of recruiting and some marketing and stuff like that. And I think college football, like it's best when it's organic. And that's why I want it to be back on Thanksgiving. It's like one of the biggest crimes against college football that's been committed over the last 20 years is the loss of Texas and Texas A&M on Thanksgiving. There's an opportunity to kind of right that wrong and to kind of like 
erase the past and just like act like the last, you know, dozen plus years haven't happened and just kind of move on with it as if, as it's always been. I, I understand why uh, some of the powers to be wouldn't want that. Uh, but I just personally hope that, that that's how it goes back. Maybe that's yeah. because I don't want to hang out with my family that much on Thanksgiving. <laughs> no, I'm on board with that too. Uh, the, the, at least the tradition part, not necessarily the hanging out with family part. <laughs> right. right. She, she they know that, that about me, me, by the way, that I'm, I'm not breaking any news to my family or whatever. I just need them in small doses and in small crowds and Thanksgiving can get a little bit too big for me. And again, growing up, I never had to worry about it. Like I, I just, I never had went to a Thanksgiving cause like he was at the stadium. So we were at the stadium, you know, that's just what, that was our babysitting. And so that's just, that's just what we did. Um, so yeah. That's going to be exciting to have back no matter what. I mean, again, if this happens on October 1st, we're going to be excited about it, right? Like it's not going to dampen any of the excitement. Uh, just cool to have that tradition back. Uh, before we get out of here, let's talk uh, about a couple things that we're ready to watch in the spring. The Aggies uh, going to get going here uh, about a week and a half or so. Uh, spring game on April 14th there in College Station. Uh, we're going to talk about two things that we're watching early on in spring practice. They're going to be generic things. Uh, I'll start it off for me. The number one thing I want to see it, it, from Texas A&M is defensive line and like what that's going to look like, how they're going to improve in their front seven, specifically stopping the run and on the pass rush. A&M only had 19 sacks in 2022. That was 106 nationally, which is tied for with Cal, just to give you a, a frame of reference there. Uh, 1.58 sacks a game. And then the rush defense was even worse. It was 123 nationally, allowing 209 yards a game. For those who don't know, there's 131 FBS teams. So like pretty much the basement there. Um, we all know that everybody there is talented, right? You don't, you don't get a scholarship at A&M. You're not playing football at A&M unless you're uber talented. Uh, but that doesn't always mean results on the field. And some of those young guys who have, you know, all of that pr prestige and all that recruiting chops and all that kind of stuff, they're going to have to start living up to that. I think Edrin Cooper coming back at linebacker is going to really help the run defense. But who are the pass rushers? Who gets after the quarterbacks uh, in college football today or in football today in general? You have to be able to pass the ball and you got to be able to affect the other team passing the ball. AM's going to have to figure out how to get pass rush uh, in order to be better in 2022, 2023. Yeah. And sticking with the defensive side of the ball, I mean, you touched on a lot of it. Uh, the, the rushing defense was just abysmal in, in 2022. Uh, and that's something that they have to improve on. But one thing that I think I saw on film, Texas AM wasn't necessarily getting blown off the ball, right? A lot of times when you see, teams give up tons of rushing yards they're getting driven back and and that that wasn't necessarily the case for AM's defensive line what they're missing is the run fits and mm -hmm. when i talk about run fits uh it's being in the correct gap and shedding your block in order to make a play Texas AM, i think struggled at defensive line and in the linebacker positions with being in the correct gap and shedding blocks so what I'm looking for is an improvement in that shedding blocks aspect. Uh, and, and I think the linebackers struggled a bit, but getting some continuity. I mean, we're talking about a very, very young defensive front as well. Uh, and it, it can be hard to get into a playbook as a, as a college athlete coming from high school. Uh, it's, it's a little bit more difficult. You're not going to be as simplified. You're going to have to, to put some study hours in, in order to learn and, and be a, a trustworthy member of a defense. How big will having a year under Durkin help with that? I think that helps a ton. And yeah. that's, I mean, obviously we'll see exactly what happens uh, when the season comes around. But I think people are discounting the fact that 
A, it was a very young team. You're replacing guys like DeMarvin Leal, uh, Jaden Peavy. I mean, there was a lot of missing pieces from the from the 2022 defense that made that that team so special, and and especially against the run. Yeah. Uh, but then you're also adding in the fact that that defensive coordinator Mike Elko left after the 2021 season, uh, and it was Durkin's first year there. And you're installing a, a little bit of a different approach to the defense. And I mean, obviously, I think Mike Elko is an incredibly talented member of the staff. Uh, I think we saw what he did at Duke and, and it's not really a surprise that there was such a big step back, but it's an adjustment for the, for the defense for sure. Uh, and, and you couple a, a new defense coordinator with a very, very young front seven. And I think you're, I don't think it should have been as surprising to some people uh, as it was that the, this defense struggled against uh, the run. Now, maybe to the extent that they did was a bit of a surprise, <laughs> sure, sure. but uh, I think there was going to be struggles always. Uh, and then my second one is uh, big pass plays. Uh, A&M was 80th in touchdown passes last year at 18, 84th in the nation with 219.4 yards uh, passing per game. But the big stat to me was they were 111th in passing plays 30 yards or longer. They just didn't get a lot of downfield stuff. Uh, I think having their quarterback come back for another year. And then I am I am a huge fan of the weapons that Texas A&M has put together. Like we talk about the defensive line recruiting, even the offensive line recruiting, obviously what they've done in the secondary. Uh, but they have struggled at the wide receiver position over four or five years, right? And like they are going into 2023 with like an embarrassment of riches. You, Evan Stewart, Anaya Smith, Moose Muhammad, Donovan Green at tight end. And then for people that don't watch a lot of UTEP football, I may be the only one here that watches a lot of UTEP football. Tywin Smith is awesome. Like He was like a top 20 receiver in college football last year, a great slot receiver, going to do a lot of the things that Anaya Smith can do uh, to, to gobble up catches there. Um, how excited are you for Bobby Petrino and kind of that offense and what they're going to do, what they're going to add to that? Yeah, and this is a thing that I was looking at too is just – I'm interested to see how much the offense changes, right? Right. right. Jimbo is known as an offensive guy uh, before he got started as a head coach. I mean, he was Nick Saban's offensive coordinator, Bobby Bowden's offensive coordinator at Florida State uh, before he got that Florida State head coaching job. And it has been known primarily as an offensive guy. It seems like the system maybe is a little bit outdated. Uh, and and AM fans have been crying out for a change in philosophy for a while. Uh, Bobby Petrino. And Jimbo Fisher's offenses are not similar. They're, they're two very different uh, approaches uh, to the ball game. So we'll see kind of how much of Bobby Petrino's offense gets, uh, gets installed. We'll see if, you know, how much of Jimbo Fisher's offense is, is carried over. I'm, I'm just kind of interested to see how everything blends together. But like you said, there's an embarrassment of riches. There's no reason for this offense not to be better in 2023. Uh, and you talked about the receivers and, and one guy you didn't mention who I think is, uh, could be uh, a candidate for a breakout season, <coughs> excuse me, is uh, Noah Thomas. Uh, yeah. Yep. A big bodied wide receiver comes in as a freshman. And I mean, he's a guy that was a contributor uh, pretty early on. And, and I think, uh, he could be someone to watch, but obviously uh, the big plays will be a key uh, for, for A&M and, and capitalizing on some of those weapons that they have. I think you touched on one of the more fascinating stories of the offseason in all of college football, not just in the state, not just in Texas A&M, 
what does the Bobby Petrino Jimbo Fisher conglomerate look like? What is what does that collab look like? Right, like how much of it is Petrino? How much of it is a Jimbo? Is there a fight on the sidelines at some point? Like how how does it work? Right, because like uh, I, I remember, you know, like when Gary Patterson gave up defensive coordinator duties, right? Like the running joke is sometimes he would come out of halftime with a different colored shirt on and you knew it was because he's taken over play calling duties, right? Didn't like what was happening in the first half and he was coming back. I was a little bit shocked that uh, Jimbo hired somebody with so many skins on the wall. I thought it'd be more of a young guy that he could kind of I mean, controls the wrong word, but maybe like oversee and kind of train and then take over in certain situations from, I don't see Bobby Petrino as the kind of guy who like randomly in the middle of the third quarter gives up play calling. Right. And so like, how do you think that plays about like, can they check both of those egos into the same door? It is going to be very interesting to see. And so like you said, there is, there's a lot of, if you're a college football coach at any level, you're going to have ego. Uh, I mean, hell even high school coaching and and below there's ego but two guys that have coached at the highest level have have both been head coaches in the sec have both seen success i mean it's (laughs) it's going to be interesting to see that dynamic at play we'll see if they play nice or if there's a a few blow-ups uh as an am fan i'm not super excited about the prospect but (laughs) if i was another fan base I would be a little bit like 50, 50, because obviously Bobby Petrino is a great offensive mind, but there is the potential for this to just go terribly wrong. Yeah. It's going to be must watch TV. I mean, we're, we're absolutely going to be glued into it uh, at, at every turn, um, especially when the big games get there, right? Like when, when it's run is rolling, no worries. I, I think that's going to work out perfectly. Right. Um, but like when there's, when there's adversity and there's going to be, cause you know, A&M plays in the sec West, right? Like there, there, there's going to be some tough games. Like what does that look like when it's 10, seven in the fourth quarter and there's three minutes left on the clock, who's calling, like, who's, who's the man in charge there, right? Like we know who's got the bigger paycheck. Um, and so, uh, we'll see how that goes. I, I'm fascinated by it. Uh, anything else, uh, you're, you're watching for this spring. Yeah. I mean, We'll see. AM hasn't completed their coaching staff yet. So we'll see. Uh, I don't know if they've announced the linebackers coach for, for 2023. Uh, kind of just seeing what the changes are. Uh, but, but mostly, I mean, we've talked about it uh, defensively, how they're going to stop the run. And then offensively, the marriage of, of, of Fisher and, and Petrino. It's yeah. going to be uh, very interesting to see what happens there. You know, I remember watching the spring game last year and going like, oh, no, this offense is in trouble. You know, like I I, I remember like, being like well, who are the weapons? Evan Stewart's already the best wide receiver. Uh, the quarterbacks didn't look all that great. You know, Connor was still like in his first two months on campus. Right. And so like, you just didn't know what that was going to be. Um, as somebody who's played this game and played it at this level, how much does spring kind of give you an indication of what fall is going to be? Like, is it is it just something from the outside we look at and overanalyze or is it, is it something that you can really start picking that kind of stuff up? No, you can definitely see certain guys uh, kind of begin to turn it to the next level uh, in spring. Uh, for me, myself, I never actually participated in a spring at A&M. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was always dealing with injuries, but sometimes a guy struggles with whether it's the playbook, uh, the speed of the game, uh, you know, overthinking and sometimes things just click in spring and they have just a breakout campaign. Uh, 
you can definitely get some some great knowledge out of a spring practice. There are certain guys that, uh, like I said, I mean, it just clicked for them, and and you kind of knew in that spring, like, hey, this guy's going to be primed for a great year uh, the next time he steps on the field. I think uh, Donovan Wilson was one of the go- those guys for AM that uh, was, was a very solid player, but then he had a fantastic spring, and you just kind of knew, hey, this guy's going to be one to watch going forward. Uh, and, and you'll see a lot of guys like that. And that's, that's a fair point is you're bringing up is who's going to be the breakout guy from this spring. Mm-hmm. Who's going to be the one that puts together just an, an incredible, incredible set of practices and it wows the coaching staff. And, and, and you realize, Hey, this guy's going to be somebody that's going to be a special player come fall. Maybe that's something we'll talk about next week. Just some candidates that that we think could break out. Maybe some that need to break out uh, for AM to kind of take a step up uh, in 2023. Uh, I think that's going to do it for us for the most part, right? I mean, first episode, not too bad. Like we had a pretty good flow there. There's not going to be a whole lot to uh, to go back and edit. Like that was that was actually a lot better than when nobody dropped like an awful f bomb. Like we did pretty good there. <laughs> yeah, we didn't get off the rails too much. Maybe a little bit of the Taco Bell talk was a. Uh was a little bit of a uh a little bit dangerous but uh, i think for the most part we handled it pretty well not too bad not too bad we're just trying to stay in the lane you know like we're just trying we don't have to get first we don't have to get last we're just trying to finish the race you know that's what we're trying to do hey, journey before destination as journey were. before destination that's exactly right uh please rate subscribe uh, do all those things that podcast listeners do uh, wherever you wherever you listen and watch podcasts. Probably going to try to throw this video up on YouTube as well, the Dave Campbell's Texas Football uh, page once we get that going. Uh, we have a Twitter account. We're Twitter official, uh, at Aggie Warpod. Pretty easy to find there. Uh, so please, you know, these things grow by like word of mouth, right? Like we're not going to, we're not going to be able to spread this thing out. That's up to the listeners uh, to figure that out. Uh, hit us up on social media uh, at, at coach J Arnold. Correct. That's correct. You know, at Craven Mike over here, kind of a James Bond thing at Mike Craven was taken. I think he's some writer in England or something like that <laughs> uh, had it. So I'm at Craven Mike there. Uh, we're always open to like, you know, give us some topic conversation stuff. Ask us a couple questions, like give us an idea of what y'all want to listen to, uh, what y'all want to hear about, what y'all want uh, Jay to talk about, and then we'll just go from there. So uh, for Mike Craven, Jay Arnold, Dave Campbell's Texas Football, Republic of Football, uh, we will record this every Monday, you know, given our, you know, lives and like what pops up there. Hope to have it out Tuesday morning, Tuesday afternoon uh, at the latest. So, Uh, Again, please rate, subscribe, all that kind of stuff, and we will talk to you next week.